The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David, by the spirit, calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. May we live into your greatest commandments, O Lord. In all that we do and say and hear and perceive. Amen. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. And nor would I. In this final confrontation in a series of intellectual duels between Jesus and the religious authorities during the week before Jesus' death, the Pharisees come with an easier question than normal. And Jesus answers it and then retorts with an impossible riddle. They ask what the greatest commandment is, which was not a hard question. Any knowledgeable Jew at the time would have likely known the greatest commandment. Jesus holds back being a smart aleck, at least for a moment. And simply answers the question. Perhaps because the answer is so important for all of us to hear all the time. Love God with your whole self and love your neighbor as yourself. But then in response to their basic kindergarten question, he fights back with an advanced problem. How can the Messiah be the son of David when David refers to the Messiah as Lord in the Psalms? Good question. I can't figure that one out. And neither could the wise authorities. So they go away, silenced. And the fight between Jesus and the powers that be intensified. But I don't want to talk about that so much today. Today I want to talk about plaques. I wonder if you have any plaques hanging in your home or office. You know, a piece of artwork with some wisdom or sentiment spelled out on it. As a reminder to you of what is important. Or a statement of how you see the world. A blessing. A prayer. Or a reminder to smile or laugh or keep things in perspective. 
There were a number of plaques in my house growing up. One listed the ten rules of a happy marriage. Did you know there were ten rules to a happy marriage? My favorite rule on that plaque was, whoever does the most talking in an argument is probably wrong. As a kid, I thought the plaque was gospel, and I was fascinated at the idea that my perfect mother was so often wrong. There was another plaque that said, the greatest gift we can give our children is roots and wings. I always thought the shellac magazine cutout of a picture of a tree and an eagle was terribly dated, but probably it was the shellac that was so dated. And then there was the plaque that my dad gave my mom when they were engaged to be married to each other. It said, I feel as the man felt who found himself in heaven. He asked not whether he deserved to be there. Rather, he kept quiet and stayed. I have often referred to that quote when people ask me how I feel about being here at Trinity. Anyway, being my dad's daughter, it seemed natural that I give my husband a plaque when we were dating. It was cheap tourist art bought in California on the Venice Beach boardwalk in the summer of 2004, just a couple months after Greg and I met. It says, I love you, and it's getting worse. (laughs) I have seen so many plaques about love plaques with the greatest commandments inscribed on them, or the Ten Commandments, or the Golden Rule, or parts of 1 Corinthians, perhaps the parts that you might hear at a wedding, or favorite psalms. The Bible is full of plaque fodder. One could build a small city out of the plaques that have been made to proclaim small bits of scripture. And I would argue that a large percentage of them along with the plaques that hung in my childhood home, and perhaps the ones that you have in your life, are trying to convey one major message. Love. More specifically, love God, love one another. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets and most of what we write on little pieces of wood to keep nearby and remind us of who we are and whose we are, and how we want to live. Now, it is all well and good to say love God and love your neighbor, but we know full well that we fall short of that all the time. Which is why we hang reminders up around us, and we set up systems and guidelines and rules of life and rules of marriage and rules of how to be in community. And reminders of how big love is. Reminders of all the parts of love and kinds of love and ways to love. Now, even though we were made to love, and I do believe that it is in our nature to do so, it is apparently so difficult that we have to work at it throughout our lives. Back in September, presiding Bishop Catherine Jeffers Shorey visited the clergy of this diocese. And during that visit, she gave me an idea of why it is so hard for us to love. 
Bishop Catherine began her time with us by leading us in a meditation on our own belovedness. And then she opened up the conversation to hear what was on people's hearts and minds after the meditation. The conversation evolved to a place where we were talking about how one of the biggest challenges is in embracing the belovedness of absolutely everyone. Whether they live a block away or a continent away, whether they hold the same political or religious views as us or not, whether they are fighting ISIS or are members of ISIS, all are beloved. It started to become clear that our biggest difficulty was in loving those furthest from us geographically or ideologically and those closest to us. Someone raised his hand and mentioned a funny plaque he had at home about how hard it is to love one's own family members. I wish I could remember exactly what that plaque said. What I do remember is that I immediately thought, oh, I have a plaque at home about love too. And I waited until there was a long enough gap in the conversation that I had no excuse to not raise my hand. And then I told Catherine about my plaque. I love you. And it's getting worse. And I said I wondered how we could get to a place where we were that compelled to love that intensely absolutely everyone, no matter who they were. She looked at me and thought for a second, and then she pointed out the double meaning of the word worse. When love gets worse, that means it gets bigger And it hurts more. When love gets worse, we suffer. She said that the more we love, the more we suffer. I think that is true. And I think that is the reason that we have to keep working so hard to follow God's primary commandments. Perhaps our negligence around love is about self-preservation or taking the easiest road. Something in us avoids deep love or love that requires much of us because the deeper we love one another, the more vulnerable we become to the real suffering of love and the real sacrifice of showing up for one another. The more deeply we love God, the more we live in God's ways and not in our own, and therefore the less control we have. And God has never guaranteed that the path of love can be followed without a bit of loss of control, without suffering, without sacrifice, without vulnerability. God has promised that it will be worth it and that we will never be alone. Which is where Jesus comes in. Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus, the God who suffered. And Jesus, the God who was a complete pain in the rear end to the religious authorities of his day. I think Jesus gave those guys a hard time because he was fighting to show us what God was really about because of his love for us. 
He wanted us to see what was real. And he was pointing out the places where the Pharisees and the others that challenged him needed to pay attention or let go of their own way of seeing things so they could make room for the truth that he brought. Because he loved them, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and Herod's people and Herod and everyone he met, including the people who brought about his death. Jesus fought these battles all the way to the cross. I think this was because he loved God enough and he loved us enough that he wanted to do all he could to help God and God's people know each other better. It was a love that led to great suffering. It is a love that accompanies us in our own attempts to love and in our own suffering. And it is a love that ultimately leads to resurrection, life everlasting, love everlasting. Dimly portrayed on plaques and on mugs and t-shirts, vibrantly portrayed in the life of Christ, and quite possibly vibrantly portrayed in our lives. The moment we allow for love of God and love of each other, to be our most important commandments.